Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast Half Full Editor. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host, David Wongrich. How are you, Dave? I'm doing okay. Yourself? I am very excited. We have a super special episode today of some of our uh, favorite folks. Some dear friends, which is great. John Gerson, who worked at some of the best bars in the country, and Chef Chidi Kumar, um, who is truly talented chef and uh, and guitar player and guitar player and and both of them um you know are uh, very interesting stories and uh you know are working together on uh it's kind of like the stars aligned and they have come together to uh work together on, on chidi's restaurant garland in uh, raleigh north carolina my my only regret is that we couldn't do this in person we'll have to try it again uh when we can <laughs> we will get john and chidi on the line right now Welcome, John and Chidi. Thank you for coming on Life Behind Bars. Hello. I think this is the first time that one of our guests has not only been early to recording, but has also brought a drink for everybody. I don't think this has happened ever before in oh, our on, almost really? 100 episodes. Yes, yes. You were the first one, John, to do this. It does not surprise me. No, I would expect no less from John, knowing John. <laughs> this is pretty much straight Gertson. <laughs> no one has actually sent a drink to you two yet? No. Now, all of you people who've been on our show, you should feel extremely guilty. <laughs> no, Ashamed. No, no. For shame. <laughs> no, someone just had to break the ice, I guess. So um, I just had to break the ice into the glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's have our priorities straight here. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what we're drinking today? Oh, sure. Why not? You know, um, I've been fortunate enough to be uh, making milk punches for the better part of what, 13 years now? Because wow. a certain cocktail historian sent me a recipe for Mary Rocket's milk punch back in February <laughs> of 2008. Who could that be? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Wondrich, perhaps? Perhaps. perhaps. Yeah, some nerd. This crazy, crazy cocktail class um, at Stir in Boston. And we had the idea, well, I think it was just about the time that um, Imbibe was coming out. And we were going to do a little book launch, but we also wanted to teach a class on beverages without ice. Okay. And I think David made... <laughs> just because, I just mean... Just because. I think David made a, a blue blazer and I made a yard of flannel and managed not to get scrambled eggs all over the crowd. And Dave's great idea to have a drink without ice, but perhaps was chilled, was easy to produce. He just sent me this recipe for Mary Rocket's Milk Punch and I've been having fun with it ever since. And this is actually the original recipe. I've been... You know, Chidi's been good enough to let me mess around with things like pina colada milk punch and white rabbit milk punch and whatnot. But I had to do the original for this fall. I feel like Mary Rockets tastes great once the air starts getting a little cooler. And when you say easy to make, is not the first thing that I would think about when it comes to milk punch, which yeah. literally has milk 
in it, but it's clarified, right? You're curdling the milk, sure. you're straining it out. So it's totally clear for our audience who can't see it. It, it, it looks it looks almost like a slightly yellowish hue, maybe like it's not like eggnog. It's not like a, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, ice cream shake. It's literally the milk curdles and you pour it off and it's this beautiful, clear spirit. Yeah, it gives it a creamy texture. And, uh, and if, if you do it right, it's completely transparent. And if you do it wrong, you've basically made some kind of form of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but so, yes. Yeah, so, so thank you for going to great lengths for, for our drink. It's not only just a drink, but a, quite a uh, impressive one to make. So, so take that Jeffrey Morgenthaler and, oh, and the rest no, of our guests. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I mean, I guess Dave and I first met you and, and I imagine a lot of our listeners first met you when you were in Boston, right? And uh, at a little bar called Drink, right? I actually met John before that, I have to before. say. Before? Right. When he was at Number 9 Park. Oh, right. Okay. But, but still so in Boston. I, I, I met, yeah, it was in Boston. I, I met John in maybe 2003, 2004, when uh, we were introduced by our mutual friend, Zach Palaccio. That sounds about right. And, and, and his wife, Anna. And uh, on the first night we met, we ended up in his apartment at five in the morning, listening to King Oliver records and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. And I think the promise was then made that, uh, when I was in Brooklyn next, that I would be listening to your King Oliver records and listen and drinking your Geneva. And I think that actually worked out. Or maybe we went to Hanks. I can't remember. I think that worked out too. Well, and, and obviously you were on with Chidi because you're no longer in Boston, but you are in North Carolina. This is correct. The new life in front of me in North Carolina is uh just starting to heat up a little bit, hopefully with a little bit of luck and some more vaccinated uh, guests, <laughs> we'll be able to grow. <laughs> you know, right now, I think, you know, maybe I'll let Chidi speak a little bit to the Raleigh scene because she's she's the scene master in my mind. But, um, you know, Raleigh is my new home. And so far, so great. It's been amazing to have John and Kelly here. Um, God, it's been it's coming up on yeah. a year now, I think, since they first just visited happened to you know eat on our patio which was all we were doing last year was um take out and patio and um yeah it's been a giant roller coaster maybe the least fun roller coaster in the whole world <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> the bright spot you know has been has been john and and callie being part of our team and john and i i think like worked together um before Callie joined, like it was again, instant fast friends. I think we have so much, um, uh, we're, we're so like-minded. We think about things in the same way. We have the same sort of uh, exacting um, demands of ourselves and then by default others. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, it's been interesting to um, navigate this year in particular in the hospitality industry coming from, you know, places and histories and um, mm -hmm. perspectives that are a little bit, you know, demanding and exacting and just seeing like what's going to work and what, what, what works, what doesn't work. And yeah. Like, can you please be vaccinated yeah. <laughs> please so we can move on with our life. <laughs> so uh, what's been working 
What's been working? We have been yeah. working. <laughs> Fair. That, I, I believe. Yeah, the number of employees that can now be counted on the two hands in front of me are those that are working. It's, mm -hmm. um, I think, uh, you know, again, the, the roller coaster that Chidi uh, sort of alluded to is, is a real roller coaster. You know, it's not just the fact that um, we need to make sure that, you know, we're doing the right thing by ensuring guests and employees safety. But, you know, a lot of folks who have had the opportunity to maybe dip their toe in a new work life have decided not to come back into the service industry. And I, I think those mm -hmm. are the challenges that are, um, you know, we're just going to have to meet them head on and think about how do we continually adapt to this changing workforce. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be doing it with Chidi and Paul and Callie and the others at Garland because, uh, you know, at this point it's, it's experimental, but we really don't have uh, too much <laughs> data to go on. This is all brand new data that we're collecting. So I think those of us who have been doing it long enough know. Like we, we kind of live by the motto of constant gentle pressure, right? We're always pushing, always pushing, mm -hmm. always trying to improve this a little bit, a little bit, because if you let one thing go, the other thing goes along with it. So, but in this time, you know, we just really have to rethink not only what we do from day to day, but how we approach each day and how we approach our jobs and our lives, because you can't, I've, a lot of times, like we were really busy in those three months, those three glorious months when we thought everything was going to be back to normal. And it felt so much harder than it did before. Um, and I think it's just like trying to make it so things were normal in a time that isn't normal. So it's the old round peg square hole thing. That's kind of funny. I, I do obviously something entirely different in a very different part of the field, but I had the same feeling uh, getting back to uh, attempting to do regular work and uh, just how difficult it was to do things that uh, I used to take for granted mm -hmm. and uh, that used to just be like, oh, I, I can knock that off in you know two days and now it takes a week. There's no reason for it, I suppose, other than just <laughs> I think we're all tired. Yeah, don't you think y'all think like we spend so much time and energy worrying? Yeah. And and it doesn't leave that much room for, you know, productivity. And I think that issues regarding the supply chain as well, uh it does it just comes down to plain and simple lack of hands. You know, there aren't people at the docks unloading these shipments, you know, they're the 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 things that we hear about, you know, just getting Kitchen equipment, Chidi, how long did we wait to get kitchen equipment? Three and a half months. Oh, wow. And, and it's more than that now. If I were to order a stove today, I wouldn't get it until maybe January or February. So you've got to really improvise for a lot of this stuff, I would imagine. It is so all, it is yeah. all improv. <laughs> John, like the part I know best, like the drinks program, have you been like, finding workarounds for ingredients and things like that? Of course, yeah. You know, we try as much as we can to provide a, a guest experience that allows a bartender to be a bartender, right? When you walk in, mm -hmm. I know I know David, I know Noah, I know Chidi. I can I can make you the, the perfect rendition of a Negroni or a Sazerac or whatever based upon my knowledge of you. But as a bartender, and hopefully bartenders have picked this up, over the course of their career, that every drink that you make is an opportunity to perfect it for that individual. We have to continue to do that, but we have to cut some corners. And I don't mean cutting corners by using, you know, less quality ingredients or using less fresh ingredients, but 
by being very creative and being proactive about how do we still have a cocktail menu that has 10, 12, 14 drinks on it, but have the flexibility to modify those drinks to really suit the guest. And some of those, you know, simple things like pre-backing ingredients that won't actually um, get worse, actually get better in some cases, you know, uh, I can give you an example of that. We've, we've got this really fantastic uh, tropic-influenced uh, bamboo on the menu that just keeps continuing to get better instead of it being a simple, as, you know, as Eppinger would have called it, a, a, a sherry martini. Uh, it's two sherries, two different vermouths, two different bitters, and pineapple and thyme. And the longer it sits, the better it gets. Oh, hmm. interesting. And it works perfectly because here, you know, Chidi and I are working together towards creating uh, a beverage menu that works with the food menu. And I think that having um, been exposed to the, the food at Garland for uh, close to a year now, uh, I don't even really have to think about it as much anymore. I can, I can imagine what the food tastes like when I'm, I'm looking to develop drinks. And as you, as you probably know, my, my approach to creating drinks is not to you know, take 17 different ingredients and work them together and try to make sure that they taste okay. It's to take the simplest drink possible and just add some level of nuance to put my signature on it. I think the last time that I, I saw you in, in person in the before times, Kenta Goto and I were out in San Francisco doing a talk at ABV. Oh, right, right. We had Ryan Fitzgerald, obviously uh, one of the co-founders of ABV on an episode of Life Behind Bars. I don't know, uh, over a year last or May or something. Yeah. Where it was, you know, it was, it was about, you know, bartenders and bar owners were, were handling, you know, the, the pandemic and pivoting. And I remember him saying, you know, he was, you know, very concerned about indoor dining and, you know, and, and just enforcing a lot of these mandates. But I don't think I realized that you, John had left San Francisco. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about like your journey to, to North Carolina, which is on the opposite side of the country from what I remember. It's kind of twofold. There are personal reasons. Um, you know, my family, I'm based in Boston and my family is still living in the Boston area. And, you know, as, as we all get older and, you know, family becomes more obviously important. They've always been an important part of my life, but being six hours away via airplane and a three hour time zone difference, it became more challenging to stay connected to my loved ones. And that was probably the impetus, but also somewhere in the back of my brain or maybe somewhere deep in, in, in the middle of my being, I, I knew that there was something else out there for me. ABV, an incredible, incredible bar. Gosh, what, a, what an experience and what a, what a talented team and what, what amazing people to work with. I think you know, some of the people that I will continue to admire uh, from, from my time before ABV, who, who became my coworkers, I, I've only grown to admire even more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we all know how wonderful Boris is and how amazing some of these folks that we got to work with at ABV. And ABV, perhaps one of the most talented bar teams that I've ever had the opportunity to work with, being a great job um, really helped me think more about my long-term goals and I, I thought that perhaps back in 2011, when, when I wanted to move to the West Coast, I might look to open my own bar, create something new. But working at ABV taught me that I really do just enjoy the physical act of bartending and being behind a bar and creating drinks and being 
present in the moment where the guest is being served to me uh, really helped me rethink my overall goals. And here we go back to, you know, the this weird kismet of meeting Paul and Chidi. And she alluded to this earlier. We actually were, were just dining at Garland. And we saw Paul uh, getting an Instagram photo shoot put together in kind of a funny way. You know, it was uh, patio only. And Paul was trying to get the idea across that it wasn't really that cold. <laughs> and he's from uh, North Carolina. So even 65 degrees feels cold to some folks who were born. <laughs> Me, 65 feels balmy. And that's down coat weather. Paul is a grandma. He is a grandma. <laughs> well, he was wearing a blanket for this photo shoot. <laughs> yeah. Look looked across the dining or across the patio at Callie and me and said, oh, you, you folks must be hardy northerners. You don't really care about this weather at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose, um, you know, that initial connection was just the tip of the iceberg. I, I think that a few days later, I met Chidi. And a few weeks later, I was working with these folks. And I don't know. There's there's something to be said for just listening to the universe sometimes. And yeah. I, I had mm-hmm. um, already set my sights on being in a slightly smaller city, focusing a little bit more on being a better bartender and being able to be, I don't know, the the, the John that I like the most. Not not the John creating crazy bar programs where you don't even see any bottles, but the John who gets to to touch guests in in a meaningful way on the day to day. And I've been able to do that to some extent. I I look forward to 2021 and being finished and. 2022 (laughs) opportunities to to get back and and serving drinks across the bar because i know that it's uh it's hard to imagine but we will get through this and we will we will have those sliding drinks across the bar soon enough thank god that uh one of the best bartenders i know certainly actually likes to bartend (laughs) oh god i love it because so many uh so many of the of, of 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 the greatest bartenders end up and partly it's because of the profession and it's what you have to do to make a living end up away from the bar. And it's just, it always seems like a loss to me. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's like a musician uh, retiring to do management or something. It's like, can't you just play some guitar for me? (laughs) That's a great point. (laughs) You were so good at that. (laughs) I'm also finally glad that Instagram like actually had a good purpose in life. You know, that led to something really worthwhile. So I never thought that would happen. So uh, it was a full moon and Mercury was not in retrograde from what I remember. So. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> I mean, that that was what I was going to say is that it's so, um, you know, for all of the people that are leaving the industry and that like came back only to realize that they actually hate it, um, you know, what we're going to be left with is a handful of folks who are really um, dedicated to this life and this as a career choice as opposed to just a job. And yeah, how, how do we make somebody like John keep loving what they do? You know, that's, that's what I, and, and, and me too, you know, it's, it's exhausting to have to go through all this. I mean, Chidi, having had your food, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you're such a talented cook and you, I want, 
people who are so good at this to 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 be able to live in the restaurant world and to and to and to practice this and right now we're having just such a crisis about whether that's actually possible to lead a decent life and do this work and that's that's really right. uh troubling i really hope uh, we figure it out at least in some cases part of the equation has to be where you do it right where like yeah. you know everybody working in you know new york or chicago or san francisco or la like clearly is not the solution for happiness right and and both of you you know have chosen to live in north carolina you know you're neither one of you is, is from there chi do you want to talk a little bit about your own you know path to 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 raleigh which is which is no less interesting than uh, than uh, john's um, maybe a lot more convoluted <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, I never tend to do things directly, I think. Um, so I'm originally from India. I was born in Pittsburgh. My parents moved to India. Oh, so was six I. Six months old. <laughs> really? Yeah. Right now? I knew I liked you for a reason. <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh. Moved to India to a city called Chandigarh, which is a fairly modern, small city, much like Raleigh. Um, <clears throat> in the north, in Punjab. And then we moved from there back to the U.S. when my dad got a pretty lousy job. <laughs> we moved to the Bronx. Which is where I am from. So you and I ah. have that in common. Yeah. Um, so Gun Hill Road, okay. right across the street from Montague. Oh, yeah. yeah Bronx. Is, is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not not um, too so far from where hip hop was created, but yes. That is correct. On Cedric yeah. Avenue, just around the corner. I know exactly where that is. And, <laughs> you know, I went to JFK High School. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's where a lot of the um, the mm -hmm. breakdancers and all, you know, all of that stuff was really happening. Um, and public school um, through there, through that whole time, and then UMass Amherst. And then I um, just happened to do a road trip with a friend of mine to Raleigh because I was um, working at the college radio station up there and, you know, working on the concert board and I didn't have a direction in life. Um, still maybe don't. I uh, had a psych degree. <laughs> well, and, so far um, so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we're all aligned in some ways mm -hmm. here. But um, I just, you know, knew some dudes in bands here. And let's just say that. And um, I came and visited and the rent was super cheap and it's really pretty. And I went to the farmer's market and I was like, oh, this is amazing because it's open every day. And I don't know, there was a sense of community here. And, you know, this was a couple of decades ago uh, plus. And so Raleigh was really sleepy at that time, but it had this potential, I think, for um, figuring out your own way. And that really spoke to me at that point. Um, and so I moved here. And I wasn't doing food at all, although I had regular dinner parties at my house, at my house, my apartment, <laughs> which would be filled with 25 to 30 people. And I literally had a paring knife and I prepped everything and cooked, you know, mm -hmm. these elaborate Indian, Indian meals for all my friends. And um, I was managing bands and then that didn't work out, although I was pretty successful at it for like four years. Then I was good. like, had a sort of breakdown and I thought, I just want to play guitar. And I taught myself to play guitar with my then boyfriend, Paul. And we bought a prison van from a state auction. <laughs> <laughs> formed, formed a band and went on tour. And we toured in that van and another band for like 10 years. And we ended up making a bunch of records and touring all over uh, the US, Canada, and Europe. And the whole time it was like obsessing over food. And um, I, I had a bartending gig 
to support my <laughs> band habit. <laughs> so, and this was not uh, John level bartending. This was bartending to pay. Oh, come on, Chidi. Uh, so it was, I'm yeah, sure. I, mean, I was shaking a lot of cosmos. I was oh, shaking okay. a lot of cosmos okay. at that time. So um, in the meantime, Paul opened a music venue with some friends and then that place got torn down to you know make way for Raleigh's progress. And then we spent three years looking for a space and we found this space that we're currently in that had a music venue, a really bad pizza restaurant on the street level and a bar in the basement. So it was already kind of configured to be what we wanted, what we thought we wanted, although I really just wanted a very tiny restaurant because I have no formal training. But I ended up with a restaurant that's 3,500 square feet. And then I learned how to run a restaurant <laughs> because I had, we had a lease on a restaurant. So that's what we did. We just kind of dove off the cliff. Um, yeah, but, you know, there's been a lot of connections with like my childhood and Raleigh that have come up in the last few years that have like the universe has kind of told me that I should be here. Uh, the, the main one being that the, um, my city, you know, was built in the, the city in India was built in the fifties and it was uh, designed to be this modern city and everybody. And I thought that Le Cabousier, the French architect was the, the designer of the city. But then three years ago, I found out that it was actually an architect from Raleigh oh. that designed oh. Chandigarh. Wow. Oh, there you go. And he, yeah. And he died on his way back from Chandigarh to Raleigh. Um, in a plane crash. And so the project ended up in the Cabousier's uh, stable and um, nobody ever heard about Novichki again, but he designed Dorton Arena, you know, and he's, he's like a big part of the- That is fascinating. Wow. wow. Isn't that crazy? Oh, that's fascinating, yeah. amazing. What a weird connection. Very strange, very strange. Sometimes things just seem like they're, I don't know, preordained. <laughs> How long has Garland now been open? We are turning eight in wow. December. Oh my God. Okay. I have the varicose veins to prove it. <laughs> it's kind of an amazing story. And I think, you know, Dave and I, like a lot of the people, you know, we talk to for, for like behind bars or stories or, you know, we do talks. Um, we see more and more people, you know, going to places like Raleigh and, 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 towns and and small cities across the country and i think you know you you get to see this like amazing opportunity that, that you know to open up a bar or a restaurant and, and sort of the opportunity cost is a lot lower and certainly rent is a lot lower and you can make things happen one counterweight to all the bad news that we keep getting is the story of small american cities coming back as cities and not just yeah. as like backwaters I, I I was uh, in Raleigh the first time when I was a musician in the early 80s. We couldn't find a motel that was open. So I slept in the uh, margin uh, between two parking spaces in the grass margin in the public library parking lot. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And then <laughs> got up with the, with the dawn. Uh, we, uh, you know, had hot dogs for lunch because there were no restaurants and uh, played oh our God. gig and nobody came because the guy didn't advertise. And uh, and uh, we finally you you know, got paid. Did you play the fallout shelter beer. or the brewery? Uh, this <laughs> yeah. is a place that's long gone. I, I, I with, with a lot of research, I could probably find the name, but it was neither <laughs> one of those places. The glamorous this life of a musician. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Well, no, neither neither of those places are here anymore. But I just okay. you know have heard of 
like, it could oh, be the black, fallout, black shelter. fallout shelter i remember that the guy right. refused to pay us he let us sleep in the club <laughs> that night and uh so, so when i say we were paid in beer it's we cleaned out all the beer in the place and i took a gas mask that i found <laughs> and that was okay <laughs> so it could be the fallout yeah, shelter that sounds about right <laughs> i'm talking this was like 1983 so it was a very long time ago when i think you're right dave that like so much of you know, the growth, like whether it's, you know, upstate New York or other parts of the country, you know, Pittsburgh, that so much of what's driving growth is, is like distilleries, breweries, you know, cideries, restaurants, bakeries, you know, uh, you know, all bars. I mean, it's, it's, it's food and drink and it's this kind of amazing creativity and, and outpouring of, you know, either people coming back or, or people never leaving, you know, or, or, or coming from other places. And, you know, starting new things. I hope this survives COVID is all I could say, you know, because uh, on the other hand, a lot of it was trendiness and it was gentrifying neighborhoods too fast and not very well. If it's people who are much a little more dedicated and uh, less just quick buck, I'm going to serve wings and cocktails because... Uh, there's money in it, you know, or whatever. I think this year maybe has weeded those people out. Yeah. Like if you're looking to make a quick buck, don't no, go no, to food no, and beverage, you no. idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because some of those people were were starting to really get on my nerves. I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it was the, getting uh, hard to tell the good places, you know, and 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 you'd get suckered in and. And, you know, there would be a drink list that you saw all the drinks were stolen from uh, from from uh, people like you, John, and other bartenders. And everything was just, oh, we put Mezcal in our Negroni. And uh, <laughs> it's like, great, that's really hard. You're very creative. <laughs> they touched on something really important that, um, you know, as some folks who never left small cities and some folks who are moving back to small cities um, start to dip their toe back in the, the going out to eat and going out to drink pool. Um, they don't want to just have wings and the same old recycled cocktail. Like there's this whole idea about um, having some sort of emotional luxury. You know, I was reading about this mm -hmm. not too long ago that there's going to need to be um, that, that luxury back. People need to be given that, that, that human touch and, and have a little bit of emotion uh, along with their food and along with their drink. And I think that, that's something that I know uh, Chidi and I and Callie and Paul and you know our teams can provide. It's not just recycling ideas. And yes, of course, I mentioned earlier that we made this really fantastic bamboo variant. Thankfully, Eppinger is not going to care because he's long gone. But I, uh, <laughs> I, I just I, I feel. Yeah, but like it sounds you know in the ballpark of a, of a bamboo. It sounds like uh, it's not like the some of the drinks I see where every ingredient has been changed to something trendy. Right. And recycling ideas is not a bad thing. I, I, I know that there's a saying about there's no such thing as novelty. Everything has already been done, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that outside of what that physical product is, whether it's a drink or a plate of food, or maybe even it's just music being played live, um, there needs to be a connection. And we've been missing that connection for so long now. We just need to find a way to make sure that our guests know how special they are and how much we need them in our lives. Well said. I will drink to that. <laughs> well, you're here. I was just in Italy uh, for a week for the first time in two years. I'm half Italian and, and have family over there. So I've been feeling very cut off. Uh, and, and some of these little places, the, the amount of human connection 
that we got from you know from waiters etc was just it was so welcome and uh I, I think in new york people are so harried uh that uh that i that, that that's been lacking and i i really hope to see that come back yeah well there really is a luxury you know and again this 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 whole idea about like the value that we have right now on on a dining experience or a drinking experience um is going to be defined by some of that uh, it, what is truly an emotional reaction you know we we need we, we're humans you know our whole physiology and physiognomy right. has been designed to look at to listen to to hear the things that are in our environment and we've been in our homes for 18 months for crying out loud you know yeah. we need to we need to see each other we need to to feel each other's energy and listen to each other's voices and gosh i i, I just can't wait for the for the day when we can we can truly be together again you know it's uh it's it's not that far mm -hmm. off. I, I cannot wait for that. Day. No, it's not. It's coming. I, I'm pretty tired of all of the things that I know how to cook and all the things that I can order or pick up in my neighborhood at this point. Yeah. And I'm, I'm ready um, to, to come to North Carolina and eat at Garland, you know, for a week oh, straight yeah. and uh, enjoy all of your food and drinks. So. Uh, can I make you a reservation? Right. <laughs> yes, yes. That would be amazing. Um, you know, I think before the pandemic, um, if I might be so bold as to say that there were too many restaurants, um, like what you said with the wings and the raspberry mm -hmm. dipping sauce and the stupid cocktail menu that was like copied. But honestly, like you can't, you know, it's not about a recipe. It's about the execution. Yeah. It's about right. how something gets made. It's transformed by the hands that make it. And, you know, I, I've, I, I don't worry about my cook stealing my recipes. It's like, good luck making that by yourself. <laughs> you know? Or taking yeah. it to another restaurant. Nobody's yeah. foolish enough to have our pantry. Like, I, I, know, right. Right. I think that um, we have in the last 18 months, 19 months been like getting takeout and that's one kind of eating. But then when you eat out, like, yeah, I mean, you might want something casual and quick and a brewery and, a, and some wings mm -hmm. on, in the afternoon. But when you're going to go out to dinner, I feel like people really yeah. want it to count. For something and i think that you know we are in danger of losing a lot of really great places because this is really hard yeah. to get through and um but hopefully those of us that survive i uh, hope that's that i can count us in, in that <laughs> pool um you know i hope we prove our metal you know it kind of makes me um think of like right after prohibition like after repeal, uh -huh. all of like a lot of the whiskey companies took out ads, like reminding people like what a good cocktail was or like what whiskey mm. should taste like, or even right, right. how to pronounce their names. I feel like we almost, we're almost at the point where it's like, interesting. like this is what like it means to eat out. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's so funny because I remember reading, uh, I think it was Madeline Powers faces across the bar or something like that. The, um, the power of saloons and not it, it, it this this whole uh, concept of having regulars at your bar, keeping the rule, quote unquote, of what the room is meant to feel like and be like, and what you, know, you don't go into a, a bar room that has beer and whiskey and order a Ramos Fizz. You know, I think this is something that we are going to have to retrain ourselves and then retrain our regulars. And this is something that we can't forget, guys. You know, I think it's not just about what are we producing and, and how can we be efficient and cost effective and, you know, create 10, 12 drinks with only three bartenders across the whole week schedule. We have to remember that our regulars are going to help us to retrain the, the, the guests that are coming in for the first time. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, regulars are, are 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 key. I mean, that's the life of the bar right there. Yep. You know, and uh, those are the people who set the culture much more than the than the uh, the establishment itself. No, uh, uh, for better or worse. And I just worry that regulars are kind of being driven out by the people who just go and act like assholes. <laughs> they're they're finally out, and all they want to do is is fight with the with the staff. <laughs> just, so I think, really this is this is why you're going out. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we as operators need to remember that we have the the power ultimately to say no. That is not appropriate behavior. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Dave. There has been a lot of deplorable behavior, and thankfully. Um, we're not in some of the big cities because some of the things that I read about New York and LA and SF and some of the, these just complete boneheads who go out and behave as if the world owes them something and they don't need to wear their mask and they can berate the staff because of their own importance. And I, I don't know, I just, I'm, I'm, I feel happy that I'm in Raleigh right now because I've seen, um, from what I can tell, far fewer people like that. Community to community has been. Um, handling this whole pandemic very differently from day one. You know, I do have to say that I think it's important for operators to um, be really clear about what their priorities and their values are. And I think so. If, you know, yeah. and if, you know, if a bartender doesn't feel empowered to express those values, then they're going to have a really hard time staying in that job and loving their job because they don't, they don't know what the end mission is, you know? And I think, um, this time is it's um it's a time for us to really be expressive about what's you know what we want to do how do we want to operate how do we treat our staff what's our expectation of our guests what you know what's the priority here are we trying to make as much money as possible are we trying to stay safe are we just trying to keep our doors open and get through this time you know there's a lot of different ways of doing it and there's no judgment because every every operator has a different math that they're looking at but i think it's really you know if we want to keep people in the industry it's it's important to um, express those values at least so customer isn't always right in other words the times when they're wrong they're really wrong yeah i think that that's a really good point that we as operators and we as those providing jobs to bartenders and servers and hosts and, and cooks and everyone is that we need to be there for them you know because it is a scary time and we, we're going to protect you not just from covid but we're going to protect you from people that aren't viewing you as a human you know and i think unfortunately mm -hmm. the service industry has allowed that sort of behavior for for much too long some of the the mentality that has grown out of kitchens that i've seen in the 90s and early aughts where there's this machoism that is it's not is not welcome anymore i i, I kind of feel like that's it's become something that's uh, never coming back, I hope. I've seen, you know, customers behave so badly and the establishment enable them in that. And uh, I've never gone back to those restaurants. Yeah. So I, I think there's probably for all the people that you're actively, you know, uh, saying, no, you can't do that. Some of the other customers are quietly applauding, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I've always and said, like, yes, thank you. Or not silently cheering. Yeah. yeah, being civilized is important, and I will be nice to you until I don't have to be. If you come in and you misbehave and you treat the staff poorly and you make them feel unsafe, then you're no longer part of that. You're gone, and I, you're never coming back. <laughs> On a lighter note, once the pandemic is over, um, do you think that you will reopen up the bottom bar as as a distinct bar from from Garland? Absolutely. I think that the um, 
the biggest problem will be maintaining staff. And that's where we have to get creative. And, you know, some of the, the ways that we deliver beverages might have to change a little bit. You know, we might have to simplify things. We might have to, you know, create a bar that's a certain, um, known for something. But I'll tell you what, those are some of my favorite bars in the universe. Going to Tommy's and getting a margarita, going to the Buena Vista and getting an Irish coffee, going to Two Jacks and getting a Ramos or going to any number of these great bars in the country and just getting the drink that you know, it's not a bad thing. Those bars are all huge successes. Yeah. And <laughs> I think that if, you know, if given the opportunity with the right number of staff, even if it's a very sh um, small staff, we can create spaces and we can create programs that, that might be, yes, not as broad as they once were, but we can really focus in on providing a quality experience. And it's not just about what's in the glass as well. So I, I think that, yeah, there's, there's a day in the not too distant future, we, we can reopen bars. But um, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a little bit of patience and uh, a whole bunch of vaccinations. <laughs> We're looking yeah. forward to that day. And Yeah, uh, I'll be sitting at the corner of the bar drinking <laughs> Boilermakers and, and, and buying them for the bartenders. <laughs> we love you. Uh, we don't drink on the job here, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I believe that. I'll be, I'll be at the other end of the bar telling you to kick that guy out on the other end of the other bar. <laughs> this is going to be a fun <laughs> night. Yeah, great night. I mean, on that note, like, I think, you know, having a focused program is a, is a good thing. And, and just because you can't go down there and get your raspberry flavored vodka, something, something, well, okay, go where they do do that. Yeah, and, right. you know, let, let us give you something that you don't even know you want. I think that's, that's what we really want to do. Well, we're looking forward to that. Thank you both for, for coming on uh, Life Behind Bars and uh, can't wait to uh, be there in person. Thanks so much. This is a great conversation. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.